As longtime listeners of the show already know, it's both a treat and kind of an embarrassment for me when a guest of SSR introduces me to a book that's totally new to me. And that's what happened this week. While I grew up reading books by Tamara Pierce, her Song of the Lioness Quartet never hit my radar. I'm not quite sure how that happened, but more on that later. The first book in the series is called Alana, The First Adventure, and it was published in 1983. Like Tamara Pierce's other books, it's set in the medieval world of Tortal, in which girls are not allowed to become knights. I'll give you one guess about what our young heroine Alana wants to do with her life. Yep, she wants to become a knight. Because of the restrictions placed on her by her society, Alana is preparing to leave for a temple in the City of the Gods, where she is meant to learn to become a lady when we meet her. Her twin brother, Tom, is preparing to go to the palace, where he will take the first step toward knighthood by training to become a page. Neither twin is happy about the arrangement, but their widowed father is so checked out from family life that they are able to hatch a plan. Alana will disguise herself as a boy named Alan and go to the palace, while Tom will go to the city of the gods so he can pursue his dream of becoming a sorcerer. What could possibly go wrong? The setup for Alana plays into a common trope in pop culture for kids. A brave young girl hides the gender she was assigned at birth in order to achieve her goals in a world that's constantly discouraging her ambition. While I hadn't read this book as a kid, it reminded me of Mulan and She's the Man. The larger cultural conversations of the last few years around gender identity and nonconformity have informed the way I read a story like this, and we spend a lot of time breaking that down in this episode. We discuss the historical precedent for women presenting as men to fill certain roles, the extent to which it's possible to separate politics in reading a book like this as an adult, and the different ways in which Tamara Pierce has explored gender construction and performance over the years. We also reflect more generally on how conversations around gender and transition have changed over the last few decades. Beyond that, we talk about the value of nonconformity, all of the free time we had as kids, and the frequency of violet eyes in fantasy books and maybe even in real life. My guest for episode 44 is Claire Fallon, who writes about books and culture for HuffPost. She is also the co-host of HuffPost's Bachelor Recap Podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts, Here to Make Friends. And while, yes, we spend most of this episode diving into the fascinating world of Alana and Tortal, I couldn't help but sneak in a few Bachelorette-related questions at the end of our time together. Can you blame me? We're just a few weeks out from the premiere of Hannah B's season. If you have thoughts on Hannah B, or perhaps more appropriately, Tamara Pierce or The Song of the Lioness or any other book at all, take it to social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter at SSRPod, and you can find us on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. Our smaller Facebook group, which is called the SSR Podcast Community, is growing into quite the hub for book talk. If you're an SSR fan, I'd love for you to help me spread the word. Share that you're listening on Insta Stories, subscribe on your platform of choice, and leave a five-star rating and review. You'll help us stay in the iTunes rankings and make it easier for potential new listeners to find the show. Another great way to support the podcast is Patreon. When you come on board as a Patreon sponsor, you contribute a few dollars per month in exchange for a handful of rewards, including merch, bonus episodes, a monthly newsletter, and more. Get all the details at www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or by visiting www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support. Thanks to all of you Patreon supporters out there listening. And with that, housekeeping's over. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. 
So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Claire. Welcome to SSR. Hi, Ellie. Thank you so much for having me. I know that you are a major book lover, and when I reached out to you about being on the show and we started to figure out what book we were going to talk about, you were like, I don't know, you've already done a lot of my favorites, so I put it to you, and you opened my eyes to a book that I cannot believe I was not aware of when I was a kid. I want to say I can't believe that you hadn't read it either, but we all have our our blind spots. I was going through your back catalog and I was like shocked at all of the books that I didn't recognize. And I used to read everything that came into the YA section at the library. So how is that possible? Yeah, I guess we're not all as like well-read as we think we are when we're 10, 11, 12 years old. (laughs) You, I think had a shout out on the podcast many episodes ago. I don't know if I told you this when you're emailing back and forth, but you wrote an article about Ella Enchanted on HuffPost. Oh, yeah. And I was I was so into it, and I quoted it so much in our Ella Enchanted episode because it really, like, just said everything that I felt about the book and, like, things that I hadn't picked up on when I was a kid, realizing what an awesome feminist hero Ella was and, like, being able to understand that so much more now as an adult. So, listeners, you already kind of know Claire if you've been listening with us from the beginning, and now we're just getting to talk to her directly. So, super excited to have you here. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for for sharing my article with people, too. It's always great to hear. It's a good one. I'll link it back in the show notes for those who want to check it out again, because it's really interesting, especially if you're a fan of Ella Enchanted, as I am. But today we're not talking about Ella. We're talking about Alana, um, more specifically Alana, The First Adventure, which I now understand is the first in a series of four books by Tamara Pierce. The series is called The Song of the Lioness. And while I did not read this series, I did read other Tamara Pierce books. I think I read Trickster's Choice and Trickster's Queen, which I feel like probably are categorized in some other specific series that I didn't even know about. Um, But somehow I just like didn't know about Alana and the Song of the Lioness. So I never read Trickster's Choice, but I'm Googling it now. That series is about Alana's daughter. Uh, well, it's all interconnected, right? It's like all, all they're all like in in tortal or tortal. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but it's all like told in this world, right? Yeah, uh, and you know, Alana was not the first tortal and heroine that I read about. I think the first series I actually started reading was about Caladri, and Caladri comes after. Alana, she is sort of the first openly female page who trains to become a knight and after the way is cleared for her by Alana. Um, so I started there and then I read Alana. I read about Dane, who is a magician and that she also exists in the same universe. So there's a very rich world that Tamara Pierce built. Now that you're saying that the heroine in Trickster's Choice and Trickster's Queen is Alana's daughter, it's kind of coming back to me that like much was made of whoever her mother was in that book. And I remember as a kid being like, I don't understand why this matters. I guess I just like wasn't aware of this like whole mythology that Tamara Pierce had built. And I just remember there being like all of these mentions about her mother and her mother being this big deal. And I I didn't get it. And now I do. So um, maybe someday we'll do another episode on Trickster's Choice or Trickster's Queen, whichever one came first. I think I have it on my list. So If I ever come back and revisit it, I guess the whole thing will make so much more sense. Yeah, I kind of can't believe I never 
read them. I didn't even realize there was a series about her daughter, which is pretty cool. I'd love to read that. Were you a big fantasy reader as a kid? I was, but I think a lot of YA or middle grade that was presented to me was fantasy. You know, there's I was reading Redwall. Mm. I was reading Ella Enchanted and a lot of fairy tale retellings. Yep. I was reading, you know, The Golden Compass. Those are a lot of the really great lasting, you know, Narnia even, um, are a lot of the really uh, important classic books for, for adolescent kids. And I'm sure I'm not alone in having read a lot of fantasy at that age. Yeah. I was talking with a guest on another episode about this. I can't remember which episode it was, but we had this whole conversation about how, like, if you were a kid who was a reader and I, you know, I don't want to assume, but I I have a feeling that you were that way. And I was lots of my guests have been just like kids that were readers and that's sort of what they did. Like you just read everything that was presented to you. And I think so many of the fantasy books that were widely available in the 90s, there were these like really rich backlist series with like so many books that you could read. And so if you were a kid that just loved to read bottom line, there was something very exciting about knowing that all these series were available to you. And it wasn't necessarily like, oh, I like fantasy or I like sci-fi. It was just knowing that you had all of these books that were available in these series. And it was like exciting to know that you could get into the world. That's how I felt about Redwall. Like, I don't remember particularly loving Redwall as a world, but like there were so many books and I just took yeah. it upon myself to read them all. So I don't know if that was part of it too. It was just like, you kind of were going to pick up anything that was at your school library because I read a lot of fantasy as a kid. I don't read a lot of fantasy now. And you know, maybe it's because it's just not as like hot of a genre for adults or at least like not as mainstream, but yeah, I was really into fantasy. And I think a lot of it was just because there was such like a wide variety of options. And then once you got into whatever your like world of choice was, you could, you could be into that world for months at a time. Yeah. There's something really appealing about that as a kid, when you have so much free time, like it used to be a problem for me to fill up my time. And I had Isn't to that hilarious. I'm like, yeah, I just it, wish I had that problem now. I know it used to be like, Oh, I have to get to the library to get enough books to fill my week. Ugh. And now it's, you know, I have stacks of unread books everywhere and I, I don't even know where to begin because I'm certainly not going to have time to read all of them that I want to. And right. the thought of starting a series is like giving yourself uh, so much homework. Whereas back then it was the thought of starting a series where you would have like 30 books to read yeah. was so thrilling. This will kill some time. Yeah, exactly. So obviously part of why you picked this book was because I had already taken a lot of your other favorites, but (laughs) can you share any more about like why this was the one that came to mind and like any memories that you have of reading Alana the first time when you were growing up? Yeah, I always think of Tamara Pierce because her books struck me as being really different from other things that were offered to me at that age. They are kind of more open about parts of life that other books might want to keep from you. You know, they're very sexually frank and birth control is discussed. There is a sort of open discussion of gender roles and the appropriateness of those restrictions. A lot of books that were offered to me for as a girl were very girly. A lot of books that were offered to me that weren't super girly were 
for boys. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tamara Pierce really split the difference in a way that that I didn't see in a lot of other offerings. Um, and I was a pretty girly kid, but I, you know, you're young, you also are adventurous, and I was interested in archery and horseback riding and the idea of being brave and and being a warrior even though I'm very cowardly and could never actually do any of that stuff and barely can even get myself to go to the gym. You know, it's still, right. you're at an age when you're happy to imagine those things about yourself. And she really taps into that. And, and even in Alana's series, into sort of the duality of, of being tomboyish and, and yet also having this curiosity about your femininity and what it's going to be like to grow up as a woman. Um, and I, I I found that very memorable. It's really stuck with me uh, for a long time. Although rereading it back, of course, some things look different than they did the first time. Yeah, I can imagine. I This is one where I really wish that I'd read it as a kid because I was trying to like take myself back to like 10, 11, 12-year-old me and try to compare like how I would have perceived certain parts of this book then versus how I do perceive it now. Um, Because I think this one would have been like especially interesting to compare, not only because of the age, but just because of like the times we're living in and the kind of conversations that we're having now. Yeah. There's just so much, I think, to discuss and dissect in this book. And I found myself having to be very careful about like not projecting like too much of my like politics into this because (laughs) I think, I think while there's certainly a conversation to be had about all of that and uh, I, I would like to have that conversation, like... This is also just a really great story and 9, 10, 11 year olds aren't necessarily reading into that part of the book. So like sort of figuring out how to separate the story itself, which is this great like epic tale of a girl who, as you said, wants to be brave and like has all of these dreams she wants to chase and is like figuring herself out and all of those things from the bigger questions that I can't help but think about as a 28 year old progressive feminist in Brooklyn, like just kind of figuring out how to separate those two things in my head was an interesting part of reading this as an adult without any context with it as a kid. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember being struck by any of the things that now politically seem questionable to me at the time that I was reading them initially. I firmly saw them as this very empowering you know, I didn't question them. Um, and that's usually what it's like, I think, for young people reading, whether that's a positive or a negative, you, you tend not to question the premises that are given to you. Yeah, which is great. That's the best part about being a kid, I guess, until you realize that there's a lot that you have to catch up on and maybe things that you wish you'd been exposed to differently so that you haven't absorbed certain like philosophies and ideas without knowing to question them. I guess it's sort of like the good and the bad there. But the general idea here for those who haven't read it or for those who haven't read it in a long time is that we meet Alana, who is 11, I believe, at the beginning of the book, and her twin brother, Tom. They live in a house with their father who just is like totally checked out. He, I think, is some sort of a scholar. Like, I don't know that we ever even hear him speak much. Like, maybe he says one sentence at the beginning. He's extremely disengaged from their life. Um, Their mother died, I think, right after they were born. And they're like at this crossroads where they're both getting ready to go do the thing that their culture, their society expects them to do. So the quote that I pulled out says, all the girls from noble families studied in convents until they were 15 or 16, at which time they went to court to find husbands. Usually the oldest son of a noble family learned the skills and duties of a knight at the king's palace. So Alana and Tom are getting ready to go their separate 
separate ways. She's going to a convent to become a quote-unquote lady, and he's going to go to the palace and become a knight. But, twist, they sort of like have opposite interests. Alana's the one who is really brave and has been really interested in learning what they call the fighting arts and has spent a lot of time with their family servant, Quorum, learning how to do all of the skills that he picked up on when he was a knight. And Tom is like a little bit more sensitive, more mild-mannered. He's really interested in becoming a sorcerer because they they have these magical gifts. Um, so they hatch this plan to essentially switch places. And because their dad, again, has like no idea what they're doing at any given time, Alana's going to dress up as Alan, a boy, and go to the palace to train as a knight. And Tom is going to go to the city where he can pursue how to become a sorcerer. And their dad just doesn't really know. So that's where we meet them. That's the premise of the whole book. How did you experience the book differently, even in those early pages now versus when you were growing up? You said that you immediately kind of like started to to see things differently. What was that like early on? Well, I mean, the beginning is such a such a seductive setup. Yeah. You know, it's such a classic start to an adventure story. And the situation that the twins are in is is very common in these stories. One of their parents is dead, um, and the other one is basically absent from their lives. When you're reading that as a kid, that's sort of exciting. The thought of of having this freedom. Uh, no one's going to look after you, and that means that you get to do interesting things. And Alana's going to get to do the interesting thing instead of the thing that would be enforced upon her if her mother was alive and her father was was looking out for, for where his children actually ended up, right. which it turns out he's not paying much attention to. Obviously, reading that as an adult is, is much more depressing and sad, but you still have to appreciate that it's this classic, classic uh, story arc. And I really, I really still enjoyed it. Um, I, I love how, how bossy Alana is, even at the beginning, yeah. and how, how determined she is. And I love that they both have violet eyes, mm. which is one of those fantasy details that was not jarring to me as a kid, actually, but is now. Totally. Why does everyone in a fantasy novel have violet eyes? I, have you ever met anybody who actually has violet eyes in oh, real life? That's not a real thing. I no don't one think has so. violet eyes. What unless, does that even mean? Unless they have like creepy colored contacts. I don't want to say creepy. If you have violet colored <laughs> contacts and you love them, then like wear them and just feel good about it. I'm sorry. I did not mean I to. I totally support right. people wearing the color contacts of their choice. We are However, pro colored contacts. <laughs> Not trying um, to alienate any members of our listener community. I'm just saying, <laughs> have never seen it happen naturally. That's all. I've never seen it, but I also, you know, I, I ended up sort of later in my adolescence reading a lot of fan fiction, and there's always a character, you know, who is a, a self insert from the author who has waist length raven hair and purple eyes, and it just sort of at some point became a fantasy trope. Um, and I always, I, I had forgotten that Alana was one of the classic violet-eyed heroines. But, but I, I like, I like the way the story sets out, and and that it then turns into another another type of adolescent story I really like, which is the public school story, or the you know the I guess like boarding school boarding school story. No, I love a boarding school story. Yeah. It's a great format, you know, again, away from home, you're around a lot of other kids. What kind of trouble are you going to get up to? Yeah. She sets out, she cuts her hair. She's now going by Alan. And I want to like make an important distinction here because I've gotten 
lots of great messages from the listener community, particularly our LGBTQ listeners who are like super pumped that we're covering Alana because there's a lot of trans progressive themes. And I know that so many, so many people have identified with Alana's sort of like struggle with her identity versus who she, you know, who she wants to be versus how she wants to present herself versus who she feels she is internally. But I want to make it very clear, like throughout the course of the book, Alana's internal monologue is always that she is identifying as Alana and as a she and as a her. And so we're going to talk about Alana as a she and a her. I know that there are other ways to read this book. And I'm like so happy that the book has provided an outlet for kids growing up like struggling with their gender identity. But at least as far as we can tell from book one of this series, Alana is identifying as Alana, as a she, and as a her, though she is presenting outwardly as a boy named Alan for the purposes of being able to become a knight. Um, So I just want to say that up front because I think, like, as I said, we can get as political or not as we want to with this book. We can, like, dive into the gender politics and the gender identity piece. But as far as we know, in 1983, when this book was written, Alana feels that she is a girl who has some complicated feelings more about, like, her place in society as a girl, more so than she does about like whether she feels as though she was born in the wrong body. My sense, at least from my reading of this book the first time, is that her struggle is more about like her place in the fabric of her society, not so much her personal identity. So I just like wanted to make that distinction up front. Yeah, that's interesting. I really wanted to talk about this, actually. Yeah, I let's think do it. that it is. I mean, it's comparable, I think, to some a real historical question that's been coming up recently, which is how do we talk about women or people who are assigned female, you know, in the 1800s who dressed as men, apparently in order to, you know, fight in the Civil War or to be a doctor at a time when women couldn't easily become doctors or work as doctors? Um, and how do we talk about them now? And, you know, some of them the trans community has really embraced as, as trans people and it's not really useful even to say oh they they never said they were trans because that just wasn't um the way that 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 wasn't part of the the language back then that that simply wouldn't have happened and so you find these conversations happening around you know certain veterans uh, of the civil war who dressed as men only for the duration of the war but always referred to themselves by their female name in privacy and and then you also have some who continue to live as men until they died um, and so there is there are ways we can we can parse these distinctions one thing that i found really unsettling upon rereading this was how often alana says things that i think would be read much differently if they were said by someone today mm-hmm. but there was perhaps a lack of of anxiety about that on the part of Tamara Pierce's uh, on 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 her part at that time because it simply wouldn't perhaps occur to her to think that if a woman says or a girl says I should have been born a boy she, it wouldn't occur to her to think that this child is trans you know that was simply a way for tomboyish girls to complain about having to wear skirts. And the, the, the conversation has sort of shifted since then, and the way we talk about these things has shifted. But Alana is sort of voicing these sentiments that 
now we mostly see uh, used in conversations about gender nonconforming kids and trans kids. And so that kind of struck me oddly. I felt like it was set up in this way where expressing desire for transition as almost as just a way of being a feminist tomboy. Um, and I just don't think it would be written the same way today, I guess. Um, if you wanted to write a tomboyish character, you probably would avoid that kind of verbiage now, I would think. Yeah, it's really tricky. And I read it right after I, I got a few emails from trans listeners who were really excited, uh, again, that we were covering this book. And so I, I was reading it, thinking of them and thinking about like wanting to sort of honor their experience with the book and being aware of the parts of it that may have been impactful for them growing up and being gender nonconforming and sort of not knowing years ago how that would shape them and how they could have some agency and like how their identity would play out going forward. So I was I was very aware of that. And I also, before I read it, received an email from a listener who was raised in an extremely Christian conservative community and went to a school where she wasn't allowed to read the vast majority of fantasy books, but for some reason they were allowed to read these books. And she was kind of joking about the fact that like, you know, I guess my Christian community didn't realize that there are these trans progressive themes in this book. So I had all of these like perspectives that I was trying to be mindful of as I was reading it. And I, I do think that like time changes everything and it makes it so hard because I was trying to read it as a kid in the nineties. I was trying to think about it as an adult, adult woman like Tamara Pierce writing it in the 80s, you know, and and maybe the things that I would or wouldn't have been aware of writing about a kid like Alana at that time. But I also can't help but read it now as somebody who tries to be as sensitive and like educated about issues of gender identity and and so you can't you sort of can't help but it's it's really hard to parse it, I think is what I'm trying to say. And I just couldn't, I couldn't stop making notes about like, am I supposed to read this line from Alana as, as you said, just like a frustration on her part because she's not comfortable with her role in society and like she wants more options or is it like an inherent discomfort with her own body and a wish that she doesn't know how to express in the moment to like be able to express herself as a boy because she actually feels that she is a boy. So it's very hard to figure out and it's hard to it's it's hard to for me at least it was hard to read the book quickly because I couldn't stop thinking about those questions. Yeah, it's really tricky. You know, there are a couple of points where she talks about or she she thinks to herself that she'll always be lesser. Mm -hmm. than the other pages and eventually squires and knights because she is a girl. And she thinks very disparagingly about sort of her body and how not capable it is and the sort of biological obstacles that are put in her way. Um, but you also do eventually, I mean, especially going into the later books, start to see this budding interest in boys and in the feminine aspects of her personality and her body. And so for her, it's sort of more akin to how a lot of tomboyish girls sort of come to terms with their identity and are very happy being uh, women, being cis women. But there are points when she thinks about her her female body in a way that seems to, to be less about society and more about how she actually feels about the body she's in. But, you know, she's also very small, even I think for a woman, and she's she's competing with a lot of strong 
burly men for physical dominance. And that's also sort of something that society can't take away if you want to be a warrior or a Marine. You know, there there are ways that you can alleviate the gender gap, but there are also going to just be inherent challenges for a lot of women um, to to bridge that that divide in, in physical stature. Yeah, I noted that too. So much was made of her physical stature. I mean, it felt like almost every page somebody was commenting about that small lad, like the smallest page of the group, small Alan. Um, (laughs) So yeah, like I can't help but picture Alana and Alan sort of like presenting as this tiny little scrappy but very determined kid who has these dreams of, of being a knight. But it, it's, I would say overall, like the book does explore this fact that like you can't, in so many ways, like it, there are so many challenges to overcoming your physical body. And I, I think in 1983 when this book was written and certainly when the book seems to be set, there just wasn't a conversation about the option to transition. As you said, now if the book if the book were written today, and I wonder, you know, I wonder if we'll if we'll ever get a book similar to this written in a similar kind of setting. It's just interesting to think about if in Alana's frustrations with her body as a woman's body, if the people that she's speaking to would perhaps like offer some suggestions about like, no, your gift, like your magic might actually be able to empower you to transition into a body that you're that you're comfortable in so that you can present the way that you feel on the inside. I pulled out one conversation that Alana has with George, the King of the Thieves' mother. Um, she goes to see George's mother after she gets her period for the first time. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's one of, one of the conversations that I think you were referring to before where she becomes very frustrated that this is something that she as, as a woman, as a girl now having gone through puberty, that she has to deal with this. And she's expressing the fact that like she doesn't want to have to do this like she doesn't want to have to experience the things that girls and women have to and George's mother says you're a female child no matter what clothing you wear you must become accustomed to that and Alana says why I have the gift which is like her magic I'll change it and his mother says nonsense you cannot use your gift to change what the gods have willed for you and you would be foolish to try the gods willed you to be female and small and redheaded and obviously silly as well you're not used to your body doing things you haven't asked of it are you and I think, like, regardless of how you read Alana as a character written in 1983, like, that kind of dialogue is really problematic <laughs> in 2019 yeah. because yeah, we, we don't want our kids to think that, like, you can't change. You know, this is the body that you're born into and you're uncomfortable, basically just, like, deal with it. Like, that's not what we're trying to teach kids in 2019. So, again, like, regardless of how you read Alana, there's some dialogue in this book that's definitely been outdated by some of these progressive conversations that we're having now. Yeah, and, you know, it's not that there there wasn't any conversation happening about this back then, but pro- most likely not a conversation that Tamara Pierce was paying much attention to. It yeah. wasn't very mainstream. And I do think there's something really wonderful about her imagination as a writer that she writes these stories that a lot of people with very different experiences can relate to so profoundly. And I read an essay recently by a gay man about his childhood attending a very strict sort of Catholic boys school. Yes, I read this. It was so good. Yeah. And just the fact that he could see 
his experience in Alana um, and the way that she has to behave carefully around her her peers and the way that she has to sort of struggle to get in touch with her true self in various ways. I think it's really meaningful and and wonderful that Tamara Pierce could give that experience to so many people. Um, and I know that, you know, and she, she has various issues, you know, the racial issues of the Tortle books are also <laughs> present. But, you know, it is something that I think that she has been curious about. And she did eventually, in one of her more recent books, write a trans character. Although hmm. I think that it also was a question more of living as a woman, um, this character rather than sort of transitioning physically or biologically. But so it's definitely something that I think she has always had this interest in the performance of gender and embodying gender and both societally and in our own skin. And so she's been exploring that in sort of different ways over the years. And, and I think it speaks to so many kids in, in different ways. I thought that was a great essay, the one that you referenced. I'll include a link yeah. to it in the show notes. Um, I pulled out two quotes from it that I'd love to share just because I, of all of the research that I did before our conversation, this was the essay where I really felt like I connected and, and I was like, this is why a book like this can make such a big difference. Quite frankly, I was surprised that there wasn't more out there. I was I was expecting to find like a wealth of think pieces more recently written about Alana as sort of this really milestone character for kids that were struggling to find their place. And I didn't find that many. So this was a great mm -hmm. essay. The two quotes that I pulled out were, number one, the Song of the Lioness series let me think about the experience of being closeted in a way that was safely distanced from my real life. In Alana, I found a heroine who thrives despite her inability to come out and despite the psychological costs of remaining in the closet. And then the second was, long before I took classes in feminism and queer theory, the series helps me to understand that misogyny is a weapon wielded against women and gay men alike, and it promised me, too, that this weapon could be overcome. And I think that Tamara Pierce does this really fascinating job of exploring misogyny in this book in a way that is informative and enlightening for all readers, you know, the way that she's built this society that's inherently misogynistic sets, I think, kids up to sort of hopefully like notice a lot of the error in the ways of a society that like inherently belittles women and puts them at a disadvantage. And I hope that that's something that kids are able to see through this world that she's built. Yeah. And I really love that it's also something that Alana does have to sort of learn herself because every feminist heroine is not going to be, you know, perfectly enlightened or a happy warrior for women. Often there's a lot of internalized misogyny and she clearly is dealing with that throughout this book. And so we get to sort of go on that journey with her. And also we get to see uh, some hints of of how that might be changed um, to see in her friends, her fellow pages and squires, an openness to to accept something that is not how things have always been and to sort of encourage kids to, you know, to, to protect themselves definitely and to care for, for their safety, but also to be hopeful and to push for something better. And I think that's a great combination of lessons. I agree. I think generally there's a great value in this book in nonconformity because early in the book when 
Alana first gets to the palace, she's very nervous, of course, about the other pages finding out that she's a girl, but she also is just like very nervous about like being herself. And she she feels, I think, she feels very vulnerable to people noticing that she might be different. She comes from this more rural area and she is in the city and like there's all of these anecdotes about how they're in a market and everybody's kind of making fun of the fact that like she has these wide eyes and is looking around <laughs> at all these things going on. And um, it just seems for a while like she feels extremely open to criticism and just sort of like people dissecting all, every every move. And uh, later in the book, we find out that the friends that she's making actually kind of like her because she's different. Like at some point, they actually say that to her. And the narrator says the idea that she might be liked because she was different was poppycock, of course. But her friends assure her that like, no, we actually like you. You know, we like you because we like you, not because there's not necessarily anything in it for us. We just like who you are. And I think that no matter what any kid is going through, that's a valuable lesson that like there's there's something great about being who you are, even if you're a little bit different in any sense. Yeah, the books really got this interesting balance of showing her work very hard to sort of fit in, but without really losing that part of her that that makes her herself. And that is what the other pages are really responding to is that, you know, she doesn't think she is better than them. She doesn't want to blow off practice. She wants to to get everything about their world, but she also brings her own perspective. Um, and so she's, I mean, that's a, a great lesson for how I think to navigate social spaces. Yeah. Always bring your best, work hard, but understand that it's okay to be a little bit different than other people too. She comes in feeling like she's at such a disadvantage, and I think that speaks to something that women experience all the time, which is that just by virtue of being a woman, you have to work so much harder to prove yourself. And obviously in this case, it's because Alana is in a space that she's not technically supposed to be in as as a girl physically, and she's disguising the fact that she's a girl. Um, and she knows that if she is shown to be a girl, she's actually going to be sent home. But um, even in her disguise as a boy, she feels like she has to work so much harder to prove herself to be as good as as the rest of the boys in in the page training when she is is getting ready to fight the bully Raylan she says she knew the older boys suspected the feud was still going on but this was her fight she would show everyone including that part of her that was always wondering that she was as good as any boy in the palace yeah that's a great a great storyline when she defeats Raylan and I and also because her her goal is to protect people and she's been told that her role is to be protected and you can want to be someone who protects the weak but you have to be strong enough to do that and she's really coming face to face with the question of of can I be what I actually want to be or am I just sort of amusing myself here by learning sword fighting it's such a such a great scene yeah, and she ends up beating him. And something that I kind of laughed a little bit um, to myself, just being a fan of your podcast, Here to Make Friends, um, there's a moment where after Alana beats Raylan in the in the duel or in the in the fight, one of the characters is like, Code says that you not you now need to like go apologize to his father. And it just made me think of all of the times that you and Emma have talked about like 
No, if you want to marry, if you want to marry the bachelorette, you have to go talk to the father, whether you're like the lead or you're one of the contestants, like you always just need to go through the father. And I just thought that was so funny, especially because like we're dealing with a boy, you know, like a a boy who's a page and still like etiquette was for Alana to go apologize to the father. That was sort of like a random code of etiquette thing that was thrown in that I thought was sort of weird. It's such an old fashioned, I mean, very old fashioned, like these are very sort of medieval-esque fantasies but the idea that your wife and children are sort of under your stewardship um, was is very prominent in that kind of hierarchy and so yeah his his son who is a page is very much in a similar position to a daughter that he might be uh, giving her hand away in marriage you know his son is sort of his property and if you dented the property <laughs> you have to talk to the person who owns it um, yeah it's very uh, very very medieval yeah, that made me, I was like, why am I drawing parallels to The Bachelorette in this moment? Maybe I need <laughs> there to is lay a off. Line. <laughs> <laughs> speaking, speaking of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, um, let's talk about like toxic masculinity. Um, <laughs> because I, I think that the other interesting thing about this book is that there aren't that many female characters. Obviously, Alana is like the major one. And we have Maude briefly in the beginning, who's um, been one of her caretakers and who's taught her how to heal and how to like tap into her magic but generally like we're dealing with all men and boys in this book and I thought it was interesting the way that like the vast majority of sort of like the extras in the book and some of the lead male characters as well portray what I think all of us today would probably agree is a toxic kind of masculinity but there are a few like special characters that I think can give Alana hope that like not all men have bought into the system that she lives in I would say like her brother is one of them um she has these mentors that she meets and I think some of her friends too but for the most part like I think we can probably agree that this society has a very toxic view of what masculinity is supposed to look like and it's interesting as Alana is like figuring out who she wants to be, who she is, she also has to make sense of whether or not like the definitions that are around her of what makes somebody masculine or feminine, she has to contend with how she actually feels about those things. What's interesting to me is that I don't think that she sees it as a problem or as toxic. I don't think that they're presented to us as toxic. And I think that what we have in Alana's books is sort of a question of like, can we just change the patriarchy enough to let a woman into it? Hmm. Um, You know, she really respects her instructors. Um, She respects most of her peers. She has great friendships with a lot of the boys. She has a male mentor who works in the, who is a knight who works in the castle, Sir Miles. She has another sort of male mentor who's a, a thief. Right. Um, and who is much older than her, and she will end up marrying him. Really? Uh, yes. Oh, uh, and she, uh, yeah, so she has one or two male rivals. There are a couple of male villains. But she looks at a lot of these men and really respects what they offer through their worldview, you know, which is strength, uh, fearlessness, working extremely hard in order to get the results, protecting the weak. 
She loves the code of chivalry. Yep. Um, she just wants to sort of partake in all of that from the male end while still being a woman. And so that kind of struck me as as I reread it that she that considering that all these men wanted to keep her out, basically, didn't think that a woman could do this. She really admires them. Uh, and that is why she wants so desperately to be a part of the knighthood. Yeah, I don't think she views it as toxic. And again, it's one of those things where it's like in medieval times, like they didn't use phrases like toxic masculinity. <laughs> like this is just what was and this is what had been modeled to her. And this was the system that she was born into. So it's like one of those moments where I can feel myself projecting my own worldview <laughs> into a book that's meant for teens in the 80s and 90s, really. But just like feeling like the system is just set up to like promote all the kinds of masculinity that I think can be so dangerous. Like it's so much about physicality. It's about fighting. It's about like who's the biggest, who's the baddest, like who's the most physically threatening. I don't know. I just, I think that again, like if we're looking at it through a lens of 2019, it's just interesting sort of what the inherent foundation of their society is and how we would think that it might like foster certain kinds of views about what's appropriate and not appropriate behavior. It's kind of a retrograde, honestly, way of thinking about what feminism should do. But it also is what I think part of what was very appealing to me as a kid. I had brothers only. I actually grew up, uh, my mom passed away when I was a kid. uh, And so I grew up in this very male dominated environment. And it's very sort of alluring to to want to be part of the club. And in my family, it was more intellectual jousting. You know, I wanted to have the best sarcastic comments and the the right answers, the best report cards, you know, whatever would would get me up in the competition. And so that's sort of where Alana is at is, you know, she's happy being surrounded by all these boys. She values their opinion. She values their value system. She looks at someone like the Duke of Naxon, I think, who is the instructor of the pages. And his way of of managing these hormonal boys is, I think, something we would frown on today. You know, he wants them to fight for their honor and not be forthcoming with him if they're being bullied. And then he will punish them for fighting, but secretly he's pleased with them. You know, there's this sort of psychological game that he plays with them to turn them into what he sees as as strong men that I think we would now find very troubling. Alana loves it. And like, it's presented to us, I think, in a very positive way. I don't think that Alana wants to change the system except Mm -hmm. to allow herself into it. And I think that Tamara Pierce sort of is presenting that as a worthy thing. And I think that's partly why why I just loved it so much as a kid because the idea was like I could just like get that thing I don't have to overthink it I don't have to deconstruct it I can just have the cool thing if I work hard enough right just make the plan and right if you have to dress up in a disguise that's fine I don't have to start being like maybe knighthood is problematic I can just be a knight you know it's a much more straightforward exciting solution to the problem (laughs) Right. Well, and as a kid, to be fair, I never would have considered, I mean, at this age, I never would have been like, you know what, we should probably 
reconsider the entire notion of knighthood and (laughs) the system. And I think like reflecting on it as somebody who didn't read the book as a kid, I have to think about stories like Mulan, which I loved. I draw the parallel to Mulan because I loved that movie. And I remember similarly being like, this is a young woman who like wants to help her family and she's not trying to overthrow her society or like change the world or like change civilization she's just gonna go and like take her dad's place in the war and she's gonna sing a lot of great songs while she does it and there's gonna be like some great training montages with some like great songs but (laughs) I loved that like I loved the concept of this like fierce badass heroine who just went after what she wanted or like took care of what she needed to do in order to take care of the people that she loved so I I, that was sort of my parallel again in in coming to this book as somebody who didn't read it as a kid like I just think now now I can't help but be like would I have thought about those two options as a as a kid like should I be wanting to make a bigger difference but no like this is a book that's a great story like kids should just love to read the book and like young girls should just think it's cool that somebody can make this decision as a girl and be like, oh, this is something that I'm not really supposed to be allowed to do. I'm going to figure out how to do it because I'm strong and brave and I deserve a shot. And maybe that's enough. Like, that's a really great story. Yeah. I mean, I reread it and I questioned all of that. But if people are still reading it and responding to it, I think that's a great thing. And I mean, I think it's also something that perhaps will fade away in certain ways as society progresses. But I think to this day, a lot of girls around that age feel very conflicted about becoming women and about their femininity because we know on some level or are being told by various sources that to be feminine is to be slutty. And we see some sort of slutty characters cropping up in Alana. Um, eventually. And, you know, not all of the women aside from Alana are portrayed that well. And so, and yet there is this feminine core to it. So it it takes you on this journey of sort of confronting the aspects of femininity that you're afraid of embodying um, at an age when you might still feel more comfortable aspiring to be like the men that you see and sort of both reassuring you that you can do the things that those men are doing, but also eventually kind of asking you to come to terms with valuing the feminine attributes that are often denigrated. Well, she's, at least in this book, and I haven't read the others, I've already had a few people on Instagram be like, oh my gosh, you have to read the other books because it gets really (laughs) good. Um, But at least in this book, like you see her taking control of her fear and taking control of the things that she wants to be able to prove. And as you said, like she just does it. And I think that in the context of this book alone. I really like that about her. I think she's a great character. The only character I had trouble getting a read on was Jonathan, Mm. her best friend, and not in a bad way, like not in a critical way necessarily. I just, I couldn't quite figure out like what to make of him. And I couldn't tell, again, like this is just me reading a lot of YA for the podcast and being like, in future books, are they going to be like flirtatious? Like, or is she just going to be his squire when he becomes a knight? Do you want me to spoil it for you? Yes, (laughs) please. Because I felt like they were okay so here was my this was my like comp to it I kept thinking about she's the man and yeah right and I kept thinking that Alana was the Amanda Bynes character and that Jonathan was maybe Channing Tatum because Mm -hmm. they were friends but like they also challenged each other a little bit and they ended up like needing each other at the end and I was like I don't know like will they or won't they yeah so 
The thing that I find really interesting about Jonathan and his role in this is that Jonathan does fall in love with Alana and they have a love affair. Mm. But because he is the prince and she is not a lady who will be an appropriate queen, they can't get married. And so they have this sort of first love together and have sex. You know, they have this whole... Um, romance, and then she ends up uh, with someone else, and so does he. And that's something that you don't often see in in middle grade books. Yeah, um, I was very troubled by it at the time. You know, the thought that their spouses were second choice, you know, yeah. really bothered me. A lot of a lot of romances aimed at, at younger readers are sort of one true love stories, and and Alana has a more complicated romantic history or, or romantic narrative. And so Jonathan's role is kind of the dreamboat. Like he's, he's the Prince Charming. I did on reread find that harder to get. I think when I first read it, I just naturally read him as the, ro- the romantic figure and as being very desirable. Um, and he seems quite, sort of more of a blank slate on a reread. Um, I think that's partly just maybe because you expect a more vivid characterization from a, an adult book than you do from when you're reading as an 11-year-old. <laughs> um, he's just sort of like, he has blue eyes and he's nice to Alana. And you're like, great, he's perfect. Right. And at the end, he's like, I don't care that you're a girl. You're still the best page out there. Like, stick with me. And you're like, oh, I, know. I love you even more. Shivers. Mm-hmm. And and he sees her naked. So it's really everything. <laughs> yeah, there was that weird moment at the end where she was like, like, don't look, don't watch me change. Now, you know, I'm a girl. And he was like, oh, not for me. Like, you're too skinny anyway. And then I was like, I don't know that I want you to be the love interest anymore. Or he was like, and you're too good with a sword, with a sword. Because up to that point, I was like, oh, I kind of like this. Like, am I sensing a blossoming romance? And, that, and then that happened. And I was like, I get that you're just being a boy, but please. Well, he's going to get worse before he gets better if you if you keep reading the series. But he's, he's a nice kid. Yeah, I didn't dislike him. I, I think to your point, like, he was sort of a blank slate to the point where like I couldn't figure out I couldn't quite figure out where we were with him but I I liked him and I kept thinking of him as the Channing Tatum character from She's the Man and that helped a lot yeah he very much is like the Channing Tatum character (laughs) those are my frames of reference (laughs) (laughs) I mean it's the classic the classic plot now right the the woman poses as a man and then falls in love with one of her buddies it's classic classic storyline so you read the rest of the series I did when I was when I was a kid I read all of them and I did get a little carried away this week and I read the second book as well did you really yeah wow I'm glad you were feeling inspired she really starts to uh, explore her sexuality in the second book. Oh, so it sounds like I should read the second book. Yeah. Is the first book the best, or do you think it gets better? Um, you know, I I experienced them all as being kind of a similar okay. quality. Like, it wasn't, for me, a sort of a Harry Potter experience where the books get really different. Got it. They're all, like, around the same length and same style. Okay. Well, and also, I feel like as a kid if you were anything like me, like I would read series back to back. And so you don't experience them as distinct yeah. pieces anyway. It just all feels like one story. Yeah. You just really plow through. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's a lot of good stuff to come for Alana and, uh, and Jonathan and George and, and the whole gang. Well, I do think I'm going to continue reading. I have to ask, I ask all of my guests at the end of their episodes, sort of on balance, taking everything into account, has the experience of rereading Alana 
made you appreciate the book even more than you did when you were a kid, love it all the more, or has it ruined it in some way for you? <laughs> or, or a combination. I feel like it could be a combo. Huh. I don't know if it made me appreciate it more. I mean, this is going to sound bad probably, but usually when I reread books that I loved as a kid, I'm disappointed because I remembered them as looming very large and the style and substance is usually much slighter than I remembered. You know, they're, they're written for young readers and I'm not one anymore. And so it's hard for me to kind of meet them on the same level, which is always disappointing. But there are still so many of the things that I really loved about it. And so it was so much fun to revisit that. And I would still definitely want my daughter one day, if I ever have, or son, I would want my kids to to read this book because I still, I still see the magic in it. I think it's a good one. Again, I appreciate you giving me a reason to finally read it. I'm a little embarrassed that I hadn't yet. I feel like a lot of my Instagram followers were judging me pretty hard for it, (laughs) but everyone I'm now caught up. Maybe I'll even read the rest of the series. Yeah. And I would love it if you got, if you ever did any other Tamara Pierce, I'd love to listen. I always love to think about her her cast of characters some of my childhood favorites well i'll let you know if we decide to do more i think i definitely want to do a trickster's queen or trickster's choice i don't remember which one was first but maybe we'll do one of those down the road yeah that would be awesome so other than alana and whatever the second book in the series is what else have you been reading and loving lately i always try to ask our guests at the end of every episode if there's something else that they might recommend to our listeners it does not have to be ya or middle grade okay yeah i i haven't been reading much other YA recently, but I've been reading two books actually about young people in love. One is called Trust Exercise by Susan Choi, and one is called Normal People by Sally Rooney. And they're both novels about a couple that meets in high school and falls in love and the way that plays out and the fallout in their social circle and how it shapes them in their lives. And they're both really beautiful, interesting books. And I recommend them. Thank you. I cannot wait to read Trust Exercises. I have gotten that recommendation um, from uh, from some other book lovers on Instagram and I've seen them reading it and it looks so good. I think it comes out in a week or two and I can't wait to read it. Yeah, they both come out this month and are a lot of fun. Trust exercise is actually, it does some stuff with uh, perspective shifting and sort of trying to make you think about how different people experience the same events, which is interesting, but there is this, this couple at the heart of it. And yeah, it did kind of bring me back to my YA days, but it's, it's really lovely and interesting. And I'm reading Sally Rooney's previous book, Conversation with Friends, right now. And I really like it so far. I'm only about like an eighth of the way through, but it's really good. It is. It's great. And she has taken the literary world by storm. So we'll be hearing a lot about Sally Rooney this year, I think. Well, I'll include links to both of the books that you recommended in our show notes for this episode, along with a link to Alana, The First Adventure, for those who want to pick it up. And I will, of course, be including a link to Claire's podcast, Here to Make Friends. I personally am waiting with bated breath for the new season of The Bachelorette to start. I'm sure you're enjoying your break, Claire, but I like <laughs> cannot wait for us to get like back into it. It's going to be fun. I'm excited for next season. Are you pro Hannah B or are you anti Hannah B? I mean, anti uh, feels like a strong word, but like, are you excited about Hannah B? Where are we with, with Hannah Beast? Uh, well, so I think Emma is pro. Okay. Uh, and I am nervous Got about it. it. She makes me very anxious. We have a lot of similar anxiety ticks. Okay. 
And so watching her speak publicly makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> Hopefully she'll get some media training, some yeah. like practice before filming. I guess filming's already started, but hopefully they helped her out before they threw her into the mansion. I think I think I'm excited about her. I like her a lot. So hopefully she does well and hopefully she learns to to pull it together a little bit more. I'm sure she'll adjust when she's in the when she's in the thick of it. Yeah, well I'll look forward to hearing all of your thoughts on the new season and I really appreciate your time talking with me about Alana. It's been really fun talking books. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was great. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.